Welcome in to the Trojan Talk podcast. What a week. What a week for USC football, for college football. We're eight days removed from the seismic shocking news of the Trojans and UCLA heading to the Big Ten in 2024. And I know that everyone is probably still trying to process it and digest all it means for the Trojans, what it means for college football, what it means for the Pac-12, if you're interested in that side of things. We're going to cover all that, first of all, because on 98% of the podcast, I forget to introduce myself, and I can't assume that anyone knows who's speaking right now. I am Ryan Young, publisher of Trojansports.com, and we put together a great show today. So I have a lot of thoughts. I haven't done a podcast since the news broke last week, so I have all my thoughts and opinions and takes to give. But I also brought in maybe the best person I could have had on this show to kind of join that conversation. The LA Times National College Sports Reporter, Brady McCullough. Good friend of the program, has been on a few times. Someone who is very plugged in to all the goings on in college athletics and is also literally the biggest college sports fan I know. So. He's passionate about this stuff. He's got a ton of opinions and thoughts and, and insights. And it was great to go back and forth with him on it. And we've been friends for over 12 years now. So we have a pretty good rapport, I think, in discussing that. So it was, it was a fun segment and covered a lot of ground and um, pretty much all the tentacles of, of that seismic shocking news from last Thursday. But that's not the entire show because it has been – an eventful week or week and a half or whatever in USC athletics on the number of fronts as the Trojans hired a new baseball coach, USC announced Andy Stankiewicz coming from Grand Canyon university where he spent 11 years on the job there four time coach of the year. in that conference led the uh, antelopes to back-to-back NCAA tournament appearances the last two seasons, which is more than USC has had in the last 17 years, where the Trojans have made one NCAA regional in 17 years and have uh, turned over that coaching job a number of times trying to find the answer, uh, the person who can get this proud program moving back towards its former heights. And Mike Bone hired Andy Stankiewicz. I really like the hire for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, I think you have to be realistic of, of what was in play for USC in this position. This is not hiring Lincoln Riley for, for the Trojans football program, which is uh, could very easily be a national title contender in a couple or, or few years. This is, again, a program that has made one NCAA postseason appearance in 17 years. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, certainly they haven't had the right coach. And then college baseball is just an interesting – challenge in itself and that college baseball programs are limited to 11.7 scholarships for a total roster, which means that every kid on the team or almost every player on the team is taking a partial or limited or, or no scholarship. There are very few guys who get full scholarships. Most teams have one or two, maybe three max guys who get a full ride because they are that in demand and the rest have to really piece it together and, and pay part of their own way. And a school as expensive as USC that becomes an obstacle in recruiting. Whereas there are schools that can say, hey, we can give you a half scholarship, come here 
you got to pay the rest, and their tuition is only ten thousand dollars a year. Where USC says you got to pay half your half your tuition, and uh, that that could be a, a parent's salary for the year. So that's one of the obstacles. I talked to Andy Stankowitz about that and about how it's being addressed, and I, I thought he had some really interesting insight and perspective to share that that's something they are working on and there are some workarounds and that's one reason why he's not so concerned about that being an obstacle uh, beyond that he's just a, he's an interesting guy he was a, a big league baseball player for seven years bounced around through a few teams started with the yankees played on some really talented astros teams and was kind of a i guess the classic baseball term would be a scrapper uh five five nine 165 pounds uh, as, as he says it on the podcast, he was a guy that everyone thought was in single A, that's as far as he would go, and he was in double A, that's as far as he would go, et cetera, et cetera, and he, and he carved out a nice career for himself. Uh, always knew he wanted to go into coaching, spent some time at Arizona State as an assistant, then 11 years at Grand Canyon University, kind of building that program from Division Two through the transition to Division One, and, and then making them a tournament team in the last two years. So... If I was Mike Bone going through this coaching search, I would have prioritized experience, program building, and connections to Southern California. While Andy Stankiewicz is a SoCal native, he played at Pepperdine, uh, he's got the experience, and then he built that program. So that checks the boxes for me. USC was not going to be able to go hire away uh, an SEC head coach and, and just – offer more money and, and steal them away like they did with Lincoln Riley in football. So this was a really intriguing hire, and I think you're going to enjoy the discussion that I had with Andy. We went for about 25 minutes. That's going to be on the back end of the podcast. So if you want to just skip to that, I guess you want to jump ahead like 50 or 53 minutes and start there. But I would also say that our conversation with Brady McCullough was really good on the USC to the Big Ten stuff and college realignment in general. So without further ado, we are going to dive right into the show and bring in Brady McCullough. Into the show. Back into the show. Great friend of the show. Brady McCullough of the LA Times, the great national college sports reporter for the Times. Brady, how's it going? Going great. Going great. Always glad to be a guest here on the best podcast and on the USC beat. Wow, it's kind words as always. It's been a wild week, obviously, in USC land and college football land. If you're on Twitter, every possible scenario has been speculated over the last seven days and debunked, speculated and debunked uh, in turn. So whatever you want to happen with realignment and expansion uh, is being considered by somebody. But we are going to cut through all that noise and bring you straight to the truth. And Brady's going to tell you exactly what's going to happen, right? <laughs> oh, no. This is what I was hoping you weren't going to say. <laughs> no, I, I kid, obviously. I kid. We're, we're a week removed from this, this uh, news bomb, the seismic news hitting the college football world, but really emanating from Los Angeles here. And as you've had the time to process it and think about it, First of all, let's just let's start with the USC component of things, and then we'll, we'll kind of branch out from there. But what are your thoughts now a week out about what this move means for USC and what USC did in being kind of proactive here? 
Yeah, I was just thinking about that today as, again, just sitting around on social media, like I think a lot of us are doing um, right now who love college sports, college football, and are, are charged with trying to figure out what's going on behind the scenes. And just thought to myself, God, like, how nice, A, kind of nice for us. Like, we, I'm used to covering these things from a place of weakness. I'm used to covering it from the place of University of Kansas in 2010, wondering, you know, if the KU was going to get left behind uh, because Texas and Oklahoma were going to the Pac-12, um, you know, and all that stuff uh, then, and, and wondering, like, oh, my gosh, like, is the team or school I'm covering going to be left out in the cold? Like, how are we going to find out what's happening? And all of that is gone. USC is is in the Big Ten. They they did it. They got their spot on the raft. They're going to be involved in in every big big uh, you know change that happens here in college sports. We'll have a, a place to, to earn a national championship and in, in football again. Uh, they're not going to be held held out. I don't think there was ever a worry USC wasn't going to be a part of the eventual whatever the power moves were going to be at the top of the sport, but. And now they, they, USC fans and USC as a school, they don't have to be stressed. And everybody else, not everybody, but, you know, 90-something schools are all freaking out right now in their fan bases, not knowing what's next. And, and yeah, I was just thinking today, it's like how nice for USC and UCLA, um, for those uh, there that, that do care about this stuff, um, to just know you're good. You're good. And that's what, that's what the move means. And and just how nice what a change for USC fans to now have organized leadership to have clear vision and direction and I think they're, they're probably still getting used to that after Lincoln Riley hiring shock and like wait we, we can actually do these kind of things and and uh, and be the ones making these moves um, just really just good good leadership and strategy and I, I've been asked a bunch this week if I was surprised and the answer is a uh, duality of responses conflicting duality yeah obviously everyone was surprised Thursday like when it happened sure nothing but surprise and shock wasn't braced for that as I was driving around Texas bouncing from one Starbucks to the next to write write stories and get Wi-Fi so yeah totally shocked but when you think about it not shocked at all that USC would want to make this move and would want to position for the future in this way. And I think probably from the moment that Texas and Oklahoma jumped to the SEC, like a lot of people thought, probably thought the sport is going to move toward a very different place. Maybe it's going to be this two super conference model. We'll talk more about that. But if we just sit here and wait, we're going to be in a disadvantageous spot. Let's be proactive. So I, when you think about the components and the mechanisms and the reasons in play, no surprise at all that they would do this, but obviously shock on Thursday. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't I put myself in the same category. I mean, only a few people in, in the whole country knew that something was coming down, you know, on Thursday, you know. And so, so yeah, that was obviously like a just wow, wow, this is really happening. Um, but I can't remember if we've actually talked about it. I, if I had, I assumed that you had, that maybe you remember that a few months ago I started uh, fan 
bandying on about USC and how they'd end up in the Big Ten. You know, my, my shame is that in having uh, a, a baby in May and all the preparations for that and, and whatever, is I never actually unloaded, uh, you know, a column putting forth why I felt like that was going to have to be their ultimate destination and, and that they, at a minimum, had a huge decision to make because the Pac-12 uh, was just not going to, even with the L.A. schools, was not going to come anywhere near the revenue that USC was going to need to to really back up the hire of Lincoln Riley um, with the Brinks truck it's going to take eventually, particularly to, to recruit top athletes, um, you know, in this, this new era. So, no, not surprised at all. Totally would have predicted a couple months ago um, and even last summer uh, as we watched, you know, George Klyukov, you know, make his, his moves in L.A., try to kiss the ring uh, of the – the blue blood in his first months on the job, just still, just how could USC eventually not want a piece of this, this pie? So yeah, this, this definitely not a shock. It's the move they had to make. They made it and, and kudos to to bone and, and Brandon Sosna, uh, you know, I saw Brandon's tweet about, um, you know, I think he, he thanked everybody for you at USC for, for changing his life. And I, I quickly wrote, uh, man, I think, I think you changed their lives, uh, or, or something along those lines. Cause, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, God, leave. I don't think any, any program, any, any athletic department has, um, has ever had a transformation in this short of time, um, as what, as what they've done. I hadn't thought in that context, but that's probably worth investigating further to see what, the closest parallel even is you're right i mean it's 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 really two and a half years but it's it's the last six months when it's all seven months when it's all come together and uh i'd be hard-pressed off the top of my head think of another example uh which brings us to the most important question of all uh when is the mike bone statue going up on on campus or or is it a, a mike bone carol fulton brandon sauce group hug statue <laughs> I don't think you can leave out uh, Slick Rick, right? Got to have Rick Caruso in, in the mix there too. So, so yeah, no, it, it's uh, it, it's really wild um, seeing what you know. We look back to those, you know, the initial kind of moves that led to this of you know Carol Folt being hired and and then her hiring of Mike Bone and then uh, the long drawn out uh, you know keeping Clay Helton and. And that it was all leading to, to this is is pretty unfathomable, but we always knew we always knew it was there. This type of activity, this type of strategy was was there for USC to to get back to where it, where it should be. And uh, at this point, I don't see how I don't see how it doesn't happen. Do you think somewhere uh, deep in the in the pages of Lynn Swan's day planner, he, he also had a date circled for Big Ten um, maneuver? <laughs> oh man, he he just would have wanted to to be able to milk a trip to Penn State for some autograph signings in Pittsburgh. Um, I'm going to give you uh, credit for your foresight on on seeing this coming. I'll, I'll give you a uh, a rubber stamp of approval and, and confirmation. So you get your proper credit here. Except I didn't write one word about it in any definitive way, so I get, you know, don't get any real credit for saying, "Ah, oh, he was ahead of this a couple months ago," or you know. But 
I give myself credit as long as you you agree with me that, that I was thinking about this already, then then we're good. I agree. I, I will be the public notary confirming uh, this is an official document of proof. We, we should at least briefly mention someone else who might have been very surprised last Thursday. What do you think George Klyovkov's day was Thursday? Just As someone who's talked to him a bunch of times and, and kind of knows, knows him a little bit, take me through what you think his day was like. <laughs> I, I think that I think the Pac-12 offices were, uh, although they're, I guess they're virtual offices now, um, but those, those zoom, those zoom chats, um, had to be pretty, pretty depressing. I I don't think they really, I think USC kept this really quiet up until the last minute and, and UCLA. I don't, I don't think, I don't think George had a lot of, a lot of warning, um, and there's a reason for that, obviously, uh, you know, NDAs and whatnot, and just wanting to. And let's let's figure out. I mean, first of all, this is a side topic, but how crazy? I mean, Mike Bone and Brandon Sosna, you know, and USC's administration as a whole, I guess, uh, that there were no early major leaks until the day of their hiring of Lincoln Riley. And the move to the Big Ten. It's incredible. I mean, incredible the circle that, that whatever their circle was, how tight it was. And um, I mean, I've still got my Dave Aranda, uh, you know, gets hired by USC uh, <laughs> story uh, story all written. So uh, I, I've got 10 things to know about Matt Campbell ready to go at any time. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's, yeah. But uh, to your point, though, I mean, George, yeah, I mean, this. I don't want to say, I don't want to, I mean, no one really knows just what his indications were from Mike Bone and, and Carol uh, Folt about, about USC's commitment. But yeah, this is, this is terrible, terrible news for uh, the West Coast's uh, premier conference. I feel bad for him personally because he didn't create this mess. He walked in and was given almost no runway to, to try and fix things which is my next question. Do you think there's anything that George Klyovkov could have done to try and keep the Pac-12 together as it was, as it was and move into a future uh, with USC and UCLA? Was there anything he could have done in his first year to inspire confidence? Or was this just inevitable that the kind of money we're talking about in the Big Ten for USC is just not uh, remotely possible in the Pac-12? Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, I think he probably – he should have been able to see that there was eventually going to be no keeping USC that, that I think he, he should have, if he was buying whatever USC was telling him early on, uh, in the aftermath of Texas, Oklahoma, leaving, uh, a big 12, he shouldn't have been buying it. It's easy to say that now, but I mean, I just think why, you know, so say, say the next media deal that Klyovkov pulled off was going to bring in 50 million, a year from up from 30 say or th- whatever it is now and that's still not that's still not nearly what the big 10 is going to bring in and um i think he should have seen that and i think that um usc I, my guess is this is a guess uh, but i think an educated one usc i guarantee you usc was not a fan of the Pac-12 expanding. 
So last summer when the Big 12 schools were knocking on the door begging for to join the, the Pac-12, I guarantee you USC, which already is sore about the revenue and the fact that it has to share revenue the same amount with Oregon State, Washington State, and, you know, all that, was going to be adding schools. So Klyukov listens to USC, does what USC, I guarantee, was pushing, which is we have no need to add teams right now. The Pac-12 says no, we're staying pat. And then USC leaves, totally blowing the whole thing up. So I just think he put he, – there's no way to deny. I think he put too much trust in USC. And at a time where they should have added, if they would have added last year, if they would have added four schools or, you know, whatever it was that they were, whatever schools that were the most palatable from the Big 12 or throw in BYU or whatever, if they would have expanded last year and gotten to 16, uh, they would have been, at that point, they would have joined the, the SEC at 16. Um, they would have beaten the Big Ten to 16. And then when USC and UCLA make this move, which they still would have made, then you've got 14 schools. You're in, and you're, you're set. You're not falling apart anymore because you've got Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, TCU, Baylor, whatever your choice was to get into the Texas market. That was the number one thing. It's very clear right now the the Pac-12 should have expanded last year. Strength in numbers. If, if you're excusing George K. from from fault here, am I hearing you correctly that, that you are blaming Larry Scott for this? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not blaming. You know, yeah. I mean, I think Larry. Larry definitely gets his, his blame and he deserves it. And I'm not blaming George. He comes in and he's a month into the job yeah. and he has to make a huge decision. And, you know, I think that he put too much trust in USC remaining loyal at least long enough for them to get to the next media rights deal. And, and here we are. I, I think if anything, if there was a, a, a path to longevity for the PAC 12 with USC in this changing landscape, it would have been much earlier acknowledging the role that they play in this conference and the and the leverage that they play in the media rights deal and giving them a much bigger portion of the pie and, and showing some uh, acknowledgement for, you know, much of our media rights negotiations hinge on you being here. So you get this much and the rest get this much. You know, I all of the Beatles probably didn't make the same amount of money. You know, Paul and John were writing the songs. <laughs> exactly. That was a that was a move that that could have been made a long time ago by Larry Scott. Um, by the time Oklahoma and Texas left, I think it was clear to USC's decision makers where this was headed. Well, more impossible questions for you that I, I hope that you have the answers to. And again, we'll preface this: we don't know. This, this is not coming from any direct intel. It's really purely speculation and and thought. What do you think Lincoln Riley was told before taking the job about this, if anything? Do you think that there was any inclination that, hey, just a heads up, uh, we don't know what's going to happen, but we're, we're pursuing this possibility, it could be this? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, don't, I do not know, but I believe that there's no way that conference affiliation, long-term conference affiliation, 
was not something that was brought up in discussing the job with Lincoln. There's just no way. Did they know that, did, did they know then that this was going to be happening now? No, but, uh, they absolutely Lincoln knew there was a chance USC wouldn't remain in the Pac-12. There's just no way. But moving forward, we've looked back enough. Moving forward, you are a Big Ten guy. You are a Michigan grad, one of the, the proudest Michigan grads and, and Big Ten alums that, that I know. And, you know, take your reporter hat off and put your your old ratty Michigan sweatshirt on, which you're probably wearing right now, and, <laughs> and tell me, as a Big Ten fan, what's the reaction from that side of things to Big Ten fans like this move? Uh, you know, God, it'd be it'd be hard for me to speak for Big Ten fans because I'm personally so into this move that that I'm like selfishly uh, into it. You know, it's like I I, I don't know. Uh, do you even uh, <laughs> do you even consider yourself a Big Ten grad? Probably not. Oh, I forgot that Maryland's in the Big Ten. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I definitely get why you would forget that. Um, I'm kidding. I yeah yeah I I love the idea of of Michigan the Big Ten schools coming out here and playing on the West Coast in our in our market I love the idea of those uniforms on the field together more often than just the random non conference you know matchup or, or Rose Bowl or um, you know I, I just think that the, the, there's just going to be a lot of um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, but I, and I think the big 10 fans across the country understand, um, if they want to, if they want to, you know, keep up with the SEC's moves and the SEC's already obviously dominating college football at the highest level, USC is one of the only programs, uh, out there who, when they're, when they're going, they can, they could compete with the SEC. So, this was for for the conference competitively, and then I mean, who doesn't like the idea? If you're a Big Ten fan in Minnesota or wherever, or Maryland, coming out to LA in November uh, for a for a football game um, in beautiful weather. I mean, who doesn't love the idea of you know doing a doing a weekend here and playing a couple of basketball games in, in the middle of February, you know, or whatever it's going to be. I mean, this is, this is all, I think, uh, this is all really fun for the big 10 overall. I think nobody enjoys a warm weather bowl game more than my guy, Kirk Ferentz. So <laughs> just pure coincidence. The last two bowl games that I've been blessed to cover while covering three losing uh, records in the span of six years at, at Florida and USC happened to be, uh, Iowa in the Outback Bowl and Iowa in the uh, Holiday Bowl. So, yeah. Anyways, um, <laughs> I've been asked this a couple times in other conversations this week, and again, my I have two conflicting answers. Is this good for college football overall? And if I look at it from a big lens, macro point of view, I'm not so sure that I, th- I think it is. Uh, I, because, you know, to me, the best part of college football has always been the tradition all the historical uh connections and tie-ins and remember during the pandemic season there was a bunch made about oh my gosh usc isn't going to play cal or stanford this year for the first time in in 
X amount of decades. And now all of a sudden, that's just an afterthought that we're moving on from this whole arrangement. Uh, but also for fans that are going to ultimately be left out of whatever ends up being the new power structure where, you know, the, the cool thing about college football is that the five power conferences, you get what was it, 75, 80 teams, whatever it is, all started the season feeling like they were part of the same thing. They, they were part of the same uh, race. And, and even if they knew they didn't have a good chance, they were at least part of it. And now there's just going to be schools that are just not irrelevant, but almost like a, like an FCS school might have felt previously or, or, or a group of five school might have felt. And that's a stark change. So I don't know if it's great overall, but then I get to the point of let's fast forward to the fall of 2024 and you have, like you said, USC playing maybe Michigan and Ohio State and Texas playing at Alabama and uh, Oklahoma playing LSU. And those are the games that we hope we would get a few of each year on the overall college football schedule. And now they're going to be annual uh, staples uh, in, in some form or fashion. And even the detractors of this realignment are going to want to watch those games. So ultimately, I think that that is going to outweigh any, any detractions, but it is quite a massive shakeup for the sport and uh, not in a good way for a lot of people. Yeah. You, you laid that out uh, very eloquently. Um, I can't do it much better. I mean, you, you laid, you laid out the conflict there perfectly. I mean, is, is Washington state is are the Washington state fans in 2030 um, when they're in, the Mountain West or the leftovers of the group of the Power Five or, you know, are they going to be, are they going to care about watching USC Michigan when their team is not competing with those schools for the national championship? Or will they focus on their love of Washington State and whatever that you know, secondary championship, the national championship might be called, um, you know, or what have you, you know, is that next division is, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it is sad. I mean, uh, it is really sad to think about a lot of fan bases who've gotten that, that jolt of knocking off a USC of making the, you know, the Rose bowl in Washington state's case in 1997 um, and taking on Michigan um, in that classic Rose Bowl, you know, to to say that to to move some of these teams that have that have really been a part of the fabric of the sport um, to now be almost relegating them, you know, European soccer style, um, which is I think a lot of people do project that that ultimately is where where this is going to head, um, is very sad. And, and I do think it will affect the sport and, and ultimately just make the, the, the upper crust of, of this divisional change feel truly what it, what it actually is, professional sports. You know, there will be a professional level of college football and, and maybe eventually college basketball too, um, where we call a spade a spade and athletes get their cut and the rest are still playing some version of this kind of semi-pro if you want to call what's currently happening um so yeah it's it's very there there's there will be a lot of sadness and then as this evolves for sure now are you saying you're not buying the washington state to the sec rumors 
I do know. I did see. There's one. Uh, there's a politician in Washington who I assume is a Wazoo grad, um, who is trying to say put a state law in that that their schools have can't be separated from the same conference. Right. Um, which I mean, hey, I mean, judging by some tea leaves and, and different things, of course, no one really knows. But maybe Washington isn't uh, as desirable uh, to the Big Ten um, as maybe one would assume. Um, at least at this juncture. So, you know, maybe they won't have to go through that. But yeah, this is, um, yeah, it's hard to say what's good and what isn't, but it, but it's what it is, is it's feeling inevitable. Well, I, I wanted to move on to where we go from here. And, and I, I joke about all the, the wild rumors and stuff that are out there. And, and where ultimately do we get to? I, I am, as of right now, a believer that we're going to the, the, two true super conferences of 20 or 22 teams. And I don't know what happens with the ACC. It's, it's obviously very complicated with their grants of rights situation through 2036, where all those schools have basically signed their rights away through 2036. And there would have to be a dissolution of that agreement or a, a massive compensation payout from a school to leave. And that complicates the, the true consolidation of two super conferences because obviously you can't have a power structure that doesn't have Clemson and Florida state and some other schools in there, but I still think we're going to have two very clear powers and then the rest. Uh, what is your kind of crystal ball say of where this is going? Yeah. Yeah. That's the ACC one is the most interesting aspect of it because of what you mentioned there, the 2036, this grants of rights that, you know, you know these these top schools in the ACC. Now, none of them bring the market power, um, you know, of a USC, UCLA, and LA. Um, you know, but it, it is hard to imagine that you know the the arc leaves you know without Clemson, uh, and maybe you know Florida State's been down, but sure, I mean, they had three decades of dominance. To, to back them up and, and I think a pretty large following. Um, maybe they don't add anything to the footprint, so to speak, of the SEC. Uh, but, but you know, it's hard to imagine that those schools are not on the eventual arc. And so the question is, when does ESPN uh, – it seems like – I think Fox is in a position – they, they're going to be pushing in the Big Ten. I think they're, they're, they're in a position where they can move the arc much quicker – ESPN, because of its sweetheart deal with the ACC, and it's uh, obviously trying to, to move the SEC forward into dominance, um, has more of a conflict and more of a say, I think, in when does, when does the arc leave? How long are we kind of going to keep this idea that there's a, a power five or a power four or whatever um, afloat? I think ESPN ultimately decides that. And, you know, do they? At what point do they feel like are they getting pressure to go ahead and move some of their schools in the eight that are in the ACC that they know would prefer to be getting paid like the SEC? When are they going to start making some of those, allowing some of those moves or facilitating some of those moves, uh, even while that while that it will be strengthening their the SEC and keeping the Big Ten from maybe coming in and, and trying to take some of these schools from the ACC. You know, versus okay, we 
we just totally weakened and broke this grant of rights that was setting up ESPN to have a lot of great content for not that much money. So yeah, I think ESPN is going to be the next, uh, there's two things. There's Notre Dame and is Notre Dame. At what point will they say yes? I do think it makes too much sense that eventually they will say yes to the big 10 and jump aboard there. At what point does Notre Dame say yes to Fox and the big 10? And at what point does ESPN decide, all right, we're going to dismantle the ACC and, and move this forward. Those are the two things that will decide when we fully are going into like super conferences are being formed of the yeah, 20 teams, 24 teams, et cetera. Uh, Notre Dame and the and ESPN, I think, are going to control the, the pace of it. Yeah, and then just confirm, you don't think there's any chance that we, we stay at 16 in those conferences. This is definitely one domino in a series of dominoes. You agree? That, yeah. Yeah, I definitely. That's where I see it. Yeah, with 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 the Big Ten situation, uh, if you believe all the reports that are coming out, and that's this part's been pretty consistent, is that that they're going to be a little patient now, and like you said, they're waiting for Notre Dame is the next domino piece, and they might not evaluate or make other moves before that or anytime soon. It it leaves the rest of the puzzle in flux. It leaves these Pac-12 teams in flux. I can't imagine though that the Big Ten wants to have USC and UCLA on an island by itself. Wouldn't it make sense to eventually incorporate an Oregon and Washington or maybe even a Cal and Stanford just from an academic uh, uh, upside point of view in the Bay Area market? Uh, That makes too much sense to me rather than having USC and UCLA truly like the new Hawaii of college athletics where they have to travel six hours to every game. Yeah, that would be logical. Uh, that would be logical. I do think one big wrinkle in that, um, I don't know if you picked up on this, uh, one big wrinkle in that is I don't think USC, who, who was the biggest player in this move and, and had to obviously be satisfied in some ways of different aspects of this deal um, to move to the Big Ten, I don't think USC wants any part of Oregon being a part of the Big Ten. I have picked up on that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, whether that, and that, I think that goes far beyond just the fans. I think the fans obviously are enjoying watching Oregon waffle and, and, and drift in the, you know, in the wind and um, panic. And, but I think that the, the administration, um, and I wonder because of the way Oregon's recruited Southern California, that even the big 10 powers can see the benefit of, Oregon not having that obvious recruiting tie-in to Southern California um, going forward. Now, obviously, there are other things that drive these decisions, but Oregon isn't, you know, Stanford academically or Cal. Um, it's a, it's fine academically, but but it's not like a Big Ten president's like, ooh, I want to cozy up to Oregon. Right. So it's about the brand, and it's about the way that. Phil Knight and, and Nike have, have built that brand and about the way that, hey, like, you know, there, there's a vibe of, of Oregon, wink, wink, does what it takes in recruiting. So um, these Big Ten schools are a little more cautious about collectives and NIL. They're, they like, kind of like USC's done. They like to play the like, hey, we're, we're not going to be out buying guys, you know, or, or whatever. I just don't know how much Oregon 
uh, I think there's just going to be some resistance to the Ducks um, that there w- that there wouldn't be for Washington, Stanford, um, possibly Cal if, if Stanford and Cal needed to be a pair, um, etc. No, it's a great point. And if, if you're USC, and we talked about this being a proactive move and a, a move that gives them a little bit of leverage by being kind of the, the first ones in into the pool – if they can undercut Oregon recruiting out West, that is a major boon to USC and what Lincoln Riley is trying to build because the Ducks are the biggest obstacle to USC in recruiting. Uh, even with the staff changeover, they've continued to recruit very well. Uh, those two schools are constantly head-to-head in pivotal recruiting battles. And if Oregon is left in the wilderness of college football, it's hard to see that sustaining. So, yeah, if, if I'm USC and, I, and I, I have the leverage and I'm going to exert the leverage – that makes a ton of sense for sure. Pac-12. What do you think is is George Klyovkov's best move right now? Uh, the options that are out there, we've heard about. A, maybe there's going to be a dare I say alliance with the ACC uh, that that may be uh, beneficial down the road for marketing TV rights when you can package both coasts together and maybe there's some uh, some cross conference playing. Is there anything with the Big Twelve? You know, all this talk about the Big 12 poaching Pac-12 teams and, and trying to position as the as the, the the third conference, I just kind of brush that off and go, it's not about numbers. Like, the, if you don't have any of the marquee brands or the acknowledged national contenders, you could have 35 teams, and you're, it's it's not a numbers race. It's and, 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 and almost all of those marquee brands and national contenders have been claimed now, aside from what's tied up in the ACC and maybe in Oregon. Maybe there's an attractive team or two in the Big 12, but we're talking like Baylor. You know, that's not that's not on par with uh, most of the teams in these other two conferences. So uh, the Pac-12, George K., what's your next move? Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that ACC thing is, is definitely interesting. I'm not sure... I'm not sure what it ultimately does other than add some something shiny and, and maybe they, there's some, some extras in, in media rights if there is an agreement or uh, this partnership. Obviously, only a few people actually know what those conversations are like and, and where they could go and how advanced they are. But I, I do think, George, th- this, is, this should be the time where he is able to, to make some moves and navigate with his his outside-the-box thinking, his experience in media rights and, and in this world, this is where I think we, we could see him pull something. And the, um, the, the biggest thing he's got short-term uh, that I think he can play, and what I think some of this, you know, these, rumor, these reports are about, the discussions with the ACC and ESPN, is uh, ESPN needs, they, they have been counting on and they will continue to count on. They need that. We all joke about Pac-12 after dark. They count on a couple of games on their networks late at night at, you know, kicking off at 1030 Eastern time, whatever, for the night owls out there. Um, and obviously at more reasonable times, uh, Pacific time, uh, they count on those slots. Those slots matter. Those are, those are money makers, just like any other slot. And, they need to fill that those slots, and if the Pac-12 goes away, they are no longer, you know, they, they don't have that guaranteed 10, 10.30 Eastern time 
kickoff on ESPN and ESPN2. So that's the number one thing he, that I assume he knows he can play, and that's why they, it sounds like ESPN might be listening. Um, so so that that's his, his best leverage play. I don't think um, a merger with the Big 12, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Not sure why the Big 12 would do that. And, uh, you know, I don't think it'd be a merger. And I don't think the Big 12 is, is really poachable at the moment. The thing that I keep going back to on the Big 12 is because of the Pac-12 not moving on them last summer, now the Big 12 has 12 schools who are happy to be there and don't, and know already that they're pretty much worthless in the eyes of the, the bigger conferences. So they, you have 12 schools who play fun, good football, who know who they are and know that that they probably aren't getting on that that final arc uh, of the the Big Ten in the SEC. So so there's stability there. Oh, I don't know if you say stability in the in the in the in the mediocrity or, or the uh, the lack of big brands, but but there is stability. Those schools don't have anywhere to go and. They're happy to band together for now. If, if I'm a Pac-12 team or Pac-10, if you want to revert back to that phrase now, I play it patiently right now. There's, there's, I don't see any need to jump to the Big 12 right now. If that offer is there now, why wouldn't it be there six months from now? I wait and see what happens with Oregon and Washington. If, if they don't get in to the Big 10 or the SEC and they're, they're left where they are, I think the Pac-12 tries to continue on as it is, and that's probably the, still the best place for most of these schools. Uh, I, I don't see the upside in, in, in jumping to the Big 12 right now until I know what's happening with those schools. And the, the other thing I don't see is the talk of Pac-12 expansion. Like, it, again, it's, it's not just about numbers. Like, adding a San Diego State to the Pac-12 is not going to demonstrably change the attractiveness of the Pac-12 media rights package that they can offer. And then you just have another school that's, that's cutting from that pie. Now, maybe you can bring schools in on a smaller share. I mean, that's always a possibility. But but still, if you're not bringing anyone in that's going to add to your, your marketability and your value, then you're not really advancing the conference. So I, I don't think that pulling in a, a Nevada and a San Diego State or a Fresno State uh, makes any sense for the Pac-12. You're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, the Big 12 has shown that a 10-team conference can work and you play a you know, nine-game schedule, everyone plays each other. Um, you know, that, that whole thing can work temporarily. And you're absolutely right. Why would, a, why would one of the Pac-12 schools right now jump without, you know, because, yeah, like you said, the Big 12 will take any of the, these, you know, the, I guess they call them the four corners, like any of the, any of those schools, the Big 12 will eventually take them. So there's no reason to rush rush over there now. Let it play out. Um, you know, maybe maybe Klyovkov's got some some magic, um, you know, revenue source from so if, if they add UNLV, you know, maybe some some sports betting aspect or revenue uh, mm. starts, you know, availing itself if you if you add UNLV. That'd be the only thing I could see addition-wise, is if, if there's something that could grab them some obvious revenue that, that he can guarantee by doing something like that. But yeah, TV-wise, the whole thinking of adding markets, yada, yada, no. There's, there's no reason for them to add 
um, unless there's an obvious influx of cash coming with the addition. All right, two last questions for you, and we'll let you go. I, I think that you are uh, maybe best equipped of anybody to answer this question, given the amount of Big Ten football you watch, but also your concurrent authority and knowledge over the Pac-12. The question is, what in 2024, what would be your, your expectation for USC fitting into the, the Big Ten landscape in terms of competitiveness, competing for conference title, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's the that's the question. They, um, I think USC would be positioned uh, based on the way Lincoln Riley is uh, is recruiting, and I do think eventually USC will uh, recruiting will even improve more than it has uh, once they. I mean, everyone's going to have one of these collectives at some point. Now they may they may not buy players out of high school, but but that's going to help recruiting, and I think you know USC will. Um, and so it, I think at it, it, the first part of it, I think it'd be Ohio State still on a you know a rung of being the expected Big Ten champion every year based on the way they recruit and what they've done the last two decades, especially um, the consistency. Um, but USC would be right there in the in the next rung with with everyone else who who fashions themselves as a as a as a power of, and right there with with um, with Penn State, Michigan. Um, you know, I guess, you know, Wisconsin from the other division. Um, USC would be right in that group that would be hoping to, to nip the Buckeyes. Well, last question. We'll go back to Twitter, which is kind of where I tease this whole conversation. And you had a very interesting tweet just recently, just today, an hour ago or so. You retweeted a tweet by a guy named Mark Eisenberg, who labels himself a financial advisor, where he said – College athletes generating billions of dollars set to the man 50% of every dollar they help generate. And your comment was not taking that into consideration is missing the point. It's coming. Can you elaborate on your thoughts there? Yeah. And uh, I think Mark was, was having, he was being tongue in cheek. Right. Like he doesn't, um, as I think is clear, but, but I, yeah, he, um, he's someone who follows these issues as I do very closely on, on player pay and, and all that. And, I don't think that anything is is imminent on that, but I think we already saw with the attempt uh, of the California state law that was going to require revenue sharing in football, men's basketball, um, that obviously that law did not make it forward in this legislative cycle, but we know Ramogi Huma well enough to know that he's not going away. Um, We know that the NLRB is making it very clear that they would view college athletes at these in these sports as employees um those things are are moving there is a i think usc and ucla would have made this move even without kind of the with you know the the way the things are going with the athlete rights movement so to speak but the uh it, it's just in, inevitable that whether it's the courts or state laws or uh you know the NLRB, uh, eventually players are going to start sharing some of this revenue. Um, will they be called employees? At, you know, who knows? But if they're sharing revenue, the whole game changes, and eventually that will be – we won't have to do all this collectives and all this quote-unquote NIL and all this. 
they'll just have an organized situation where they get a cut of the revenues that, that they're helping to bring in. And at that point, these departments are going to need to be flush with way more cash than they are right now. And there's just no way that USC could be moving along with the times without making a move like they made. Yeah, and, and, and that point you made just kind of crystallizes why this whole super conference movement is happening because there, there's just a clear separation between some schools and other schools. And where we used to divide the sport along geographical lines, it's now going to be divided more along the lines of the haves and the have-nots. And that may be a necessity if it's if it's going the way you think it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, I, you know, I had come up with just some, some ideas in my head of, of the way this thing could go if the super conferences didn't, like if, if this type of move didn't happen, where eventually, like, you would have, say, say the Power Five stayed semi-intact. Well, okay, I'm going to come up with an idea of, like, okay, basically at some point these departments are going to have to be at, they're going to be asked, they're going to have to decide, are we going to professionalize college football, our college football program? Are we going to share revenue or are we not? And the schools that are across the country that are decide, okay, we're going to pay the players, not from quote unquote NIL or third parties or whatever. We're going to actually share revenue with our players. The schools that decide that they are ready to do that and will do that all move to their own division where they are paying players and at the schools who aren't able to do that or don't want to do that philosophically are at a division below. And I had even thought, well, okay, what's, what's stopping then from say the PAC 12, say USC and UCLA were still in it. What's to stop the PAC 12 from still being the PAC 12. You have, you know, the same teams with the same disadvantages, uh, you know, advantages, disadvantages that they had already. It's just now it's, Oh, these schools are paying guys from their revenue. These schools are competing with the traditional rivalries, traditional schedules, all that. There's a PAC 12 champ, maybe Washington state who doesn't pay its players revenue, uh, you know, beats USC who does pay its players revenue. Uh, wouldn't that be amazing? And the Washington state, the PAC 12 champ, Meanwhile, USC has two losses, but they compete for the national championship in the we pay our players division, you know, while Washington State competes at the lower division. Yeah, you know, I don't even know if I'm making sense. It's, it's kind of a it, – it's a lot to take in. But anyway, no, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just – but now it's, it's so clear this is just going to head toward these super conferences and they're all going to – people within those conferences will play by the same rules. And unless Vanderbilt decides they, they no longer want to – you know they don't want to pay they don't want to pay their players and they can figure that out but um yeah well you joked about it earlier but i would love to see the introduction of the concept of relegation come in if we're going to go to the two super conferences and, and you have you have baylor fighting to replace vanderbilt in the sec one year yeah yeah that'd be fun man people always talk about that i i think anything to to keep the whole country involved um is going to be going to be good for the sport because yeah, right now it's as we discussed. Yeah, if you're, I think the Big Twelve schools have already had to stomach this. Like, is is pretty soon. You know, Baylor, who's become a very good program. You know, I guess may not be competing for a national championship in college football at least at the highest level because they didn't get the invite. You know, or whatever. I mean, it's 
It's crazy. It is crazy. It'll remain crazy, and we'll have plenty more to talk about in the future. But, Brady, a rollicking, riveting, and insightful conversation. We thank you for your time. I hope it was, and, uh, you know, we'll see where it all heads. Awesome. That was fun. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed that that uh, discussion, conversation, debate with Brady. I always enjoy having him on. I think we're going to get him on more and more, especially as uh, there's so much changing in the college football landscape that is worth diving into. Uh, I'm sure there will be more expansion talk, more realignment talk, rather. Uh, plenty more fallout from all this to get into. And uh, I think just during the football season in general, we'll have him on because he has a great perspective and uh, he's a friend of the program. So he is he's there for us. All right. I've already uh, teased our next segment with new USC baseball coach, Andy Stankiewicz. So let's bring him in. All right. Very excited to welcome in our next guest, new USC baseball coach, Andy Stankiewicz. Did I pronounce that right, Andy? Yeah, you did. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's not as tough as it looks. All those uh, those those letters seem to, 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 to but it's thank you, yeah, perfect. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us, and, and congrats on, on the USC job, first of all. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Let's let's just start with the hiring, uh, how it came together, and why this was the right move for you after eleven seasons at Grand Canyon, a very successful run there. Why was this the right time to jump, and this is the right job? Well, um, I think. Uh, the right time for a lot of reasons. Number one, it's it's USC um, first and foremost, and uh, this, in my mind, is is the premier baseball program in the country. And number two, I, I grew up in Cerritos. I grew up not far from here, obviously, um, from campus, and so I grew up um, wanting to win a Heisman Trophy. Right? I grew up in the seventies and, and eighties when when USC football was, was basically Heisman Trophy winners all over the place. And so, um, and as a young athlete growing up in Southern California, you know, you, you dream of doing something great and possibly being a part of something. And I, and I knew that wasn't going to happen. Right. And so then baseball, kind of, I got redirected to, to start concentrating on baseball. And, um, and I, obviously at the time we knew about coach Dado and, and what he had been doing here in this baseball program. So I've always held, see in, in tremendous regard and then I, I i played for coach gillespie two summers in alaska actually before at the time he was the head coach at college of the canyon played for him two years there and then actually got the job i think my senior year i was at pepperdine he he, got, he took over the head position here at usc and so tremendous amount of respect for him he's one of the my mentors in the game taught me a ton about about the game and how to play it and so i've always just watched um you know, SC closely just because I just felt like this is a special place. And then so to get an opportunity to, to circle back around, I think uh, I think it's been, I think I tallied up, I think it's about 35, 36 years as either player um, in pro ball or coach in pro ball, coach in college baseball. Um, and to circle back around and, and get an opportunity to, to lead this great program and this great university. Um, it's like it's a dream come true, and I'm, I can't tell you how excited I am to, to do it. Great stuff. That's one of the first things that stood out to me when I was reading your bio that you are a SoCal guy and you grew up around here, and it probably is a, a more special job to you for that reason. When it comes open, 
Uh, is it immediately on your radar? Do you reach out? Do they reach out to you? What's kind of the process? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was a bit of that, a bit of both, right? When it did um, become open, um, it just, uh, um, I have a lot of friends and peers in the game and professional baseball and, and, and sometimes get, hey, man, it's Tank, why don't you, are you interested? And, and, and he said, of course, it's, it's USC. Um, and I'm sure Mike Bone and Lindsey Jeff would, would tell you that they got a gazillion, right? Um, request to, to speak to them on, you know, in terms of this position. So, um, yeah, so you just kind of stay a, a hello when you can, and uh, um, if you're interested, let them talk to you. Uh, but it was it was nothing more than that. I knew that, that they were in the process of, um, at that point, probably looking at some some guys. And I totally get it. It's you have to you have to do due diligence, and this is a, is a big hire. And so, um, you know, just stay patient. In the meantime, I was in, I'm in a great spot. I was in a great spot with. With GCU, wasn't like you know, man, I, I, I needed. Oh man, I, got, I, I would love the opportunity to speak with them for sure, obviously. But um, I was in a good spot there, so just kind of waited and finally got a phone call and asked if I would come and meet with um, Lindsay and, and 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 Mike and some administrative staff here, and, and got a chance to sit down with them, meet them, and and um, when I left, I was more excited about about this possibility, and um, the feeling has is not. I had one bit since I took the job. What did stand out about your talks with Mike Bone and, and Lindsay about their vision for the program, what they think is possible here, and, and what they were looking for in this hire? The passion um, um, Mike has and the, the vision that they both see for not just baseball, but every athletic team here on campus. I think great energy. I know that I felt like, hey, this is – will support um, baseball. They want to support baseball. They want baseball to be great again and always and be consistent um, and all that. That's what I. Um, that's how we built it there at GCU. Number one, it started with a great support staff and, and administration to to give you what you need, right? In terms of recruiting, budget, um, facilities, um, all those things are important. Obviously, you got to recruit great players, um, but that's our job to find them and, and get them here. But I think what I saw more than anything else was just a great vision and a great passion for this university, great energy. I think uh, Mike Bone wants, wants USC to be great in baseball again, and uh, and I'm, I'm I'm bought into that, and I, I love the vision that he has for this, this program. It's, it's a really incredible situation with the history of this program, but also uh, where it's been at currently. 12 national titles more than anybody else in college baseball, but just one NCAA regional in the last 17 years. What do you make of that, and do you think it's possible to get back to those previous heights? And, and not to set the bar ridiculously high, but I'm just saying, is that even realistic for this program these days? Oh, no, no question. Absolutely, it is. It, uh, um, yeah, that's not setting the bar high. That's, that's where the bar needs to be. Ryan, um, I, I, Mike and, and Lindsay and myself and our coaching staff and our players, we want to, this program to be great. I, I really believe that that college baseball is, is, is better when USC baseball is great. I think that that's when um, college baseball becomes great again. And you, if you look on, on you know, college baseball nowadays, it's, it seems to be like, hey, it's a big South, SEC, Big 12. Um, I think that, that we've got to get West Coast baseball back on the map. And I know there's great programs here. Obviously, UCLA, Coach Savage has done a fantastic job building his program there. Dave Esker, Stanford, um, terrific. Oregon, Oregon State, obviously, fantastic job. So, but it's West Coast baseball has got to, got to, got to solidify itself 
um, and I, I'm excited to be a part of that. I want I want to help obviously build this program at USC, but I also want to help get West Coast college baseball back where I feel it belongs. So baseball is a unique college sport with the 11.7 scholarship limit. Is that the biggest obstacle with this program that you are at a school that is uh, not cheap to go to if you're not on full scholarship and that's just part of the equation in, in recruiting baseball players? Is that one of the reasons why it has been so tough the last two decades for this program? It's part of it. Yeah, that's, 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 but it's, it's, a, it's just a challenge. You know, I think one of the things that I think we'll, we will share with families when we recruit them is this. You know, what what is it worth, right? A USC degree is in, in the networking and the alumni base. What it is here is 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 so strong and so healthy and, and setting setting up a young man for the rest of his life. You know, four years of his life for the next fifty years of his life, right? Four years for the next forty. And I think that's one of the things that we've got to. Um, and and then the university is is working hard and diligent about trying to create financial opportunities for our families that they were recruiting. And so that was encouraging, you know, in, in that regard just, is, as well. And there's scholarships, there's it, every little bit helps. So, um, obviously there's this, you know, as you know, the, the new NIL and which third party that's come in and it's going to help our young men, um, um, you know, just to get advertised and marketing and, and just kind of promote themselves in a way that, that it could, provide some financial resources for them so that's, that's part of it so it, it's going to get better i can tell you that we're working hard as a administrative staff and athletic staff to try to try to make that not as big of a hurdle as it probably has been in the past but yeah Brian, i do recognize that but, but there's ways there's ways to still move forward and recruit great athletes great young men um to to, to be a trojan well, that was my next question. I was going to ask that. Obviously, NIL can play a factor, but are there other workarounds to that that, that you guys have in mind specifically? Yeah, at the moment, uh, um, I know there's a, a a new a new grant that was just extended to all of our athletes. It'll be about six seven thousand dollar grant um, to every athlete, and so I know that's that, that's about ready to take place. Um, and every little bit helps, right? Um, yeah. I know that there's other scholarships that were. Looking at incomes, families don't reach a certain threshold financially on a yearly basis. That, that the scholarship will be available to them, a real healthy, a strong scholarship to help some families that, that aren't in, in, in a great spot uh, um, as a family. So they're working hard uh, to create these scholarships, um, and we'll continue to do so because the university understands that it's it is a pretty pretty good price point uh, tuition wise to come to school at USC. But again. You know, just reiterate, man, the opportunities that, that, a, that a USC degree will afford these young men are, are lifelong, not, not just in, in two or three year thing. Not to dwell on it, but I'm, I'm very uh, interested. I want to understand is is that scholarship for lower income families a, a new introduction this year, or is that in place? Yeah, I think it's it's we're getting we're working on. I don't have all the details at the moment, Ryan, but certainly sure. uh, as I, I come. Um, uh, available, I'm happy to share. But uh, we're working on, on different different ideas to, to try to create and um, just opportunities. Uh, just just lastly on on this topic, as you were evaluating the job and and looking at it, how much thought went into it for you about about the fact that it's been one NCAA regional in 17 years? Uh, did you have to do some research and go, I, w- I wonder why that's been, or is is that a little daunting? How did you process that? Well, um, I'm excited. You know, um, I, I look at, I feel like what we did at GCU was a 
big challenge as well, going from Division Two, Division One to reclassification period where you can't go to any sort of playoff system, right? Any kind of postseason play, and then being eligible for four years and two of those four years getting to a regional. That was pretty daunting, I suppose, but I didn't really look at it that way. I just look at my my mind works in, in regards to just one day at a time. Um, I'm not, I don't look at the past. I look at the past as a great opportunity, not not a negative. Um, that's the way I think I've always approached it. I'm excited about this opportunity that's in front of us. I'm excited to share this opportunity with our new coach staff as we get them and our, our players as they arrive here in August. And so it's going to be exciting. And that's the way I look at it. I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, um, I don't really back away. I'm just going to move forward and get after it. Sure. You had a great run at GCU, 11 seasons, four-time conference coach of the year there, and you get them to back-to-back NCAA postseason appearances the last two years. As you look back on that whole process, what were the biggest keys, you think, in, in building that program and continually elevating it? Well, I think number one, like I said earlier, was the support of the uh, administrative staff, and I think um, uh, that's where I we spoke of earlier. It's here. I see it here. I feel it here. I know it's at USC um, with our administrative staff. Uh, I think next next thing is is recruiting, right? Is uh, making sure you're recruiting the 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 right kid, right? That um, that's willing to get in here and, and work, right? And he's a good kid as far as student, right? And willing to do the schoolwork. Um, obviously, willing to get in the weight room. Just got a, a, a mature approach, right? We've got to we've got to narrow that down. We got to have a, a great staff, and like I said, I've got a great hitting hitting coach, recruiting coordinator with Travis Stewart joining us. He came jumped on board yesterday, and he's got he's got a fantastic resume. He's done it all up and down the West Coast. He's as, as good as they get. So that's a the big get for uh, for us and our our, our program here. Um, and so I think that's a big part of it, and I think. I think it's just getting the, the, the players to to know that we're here for them. Man, we want to work, right? We're gonna we're gonna get after it. I'm gonna push them when I need to push them. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pat them on the back when I need to pat them on the back. Um, I think that they just need to know that we're in their corner. Baseball's hard, man. It's a hard game, right? You know that. And so, um, and I've been I've been through it all. Um, there's not a thing that this young our men would go through that I haven't been through myself, being a college player and a professional player. Getting called up, sent down, released, um, designated for a time, and traded. You know, I've just kind of, I kind of been through everything. I've been through the ringer. I've, I've had the highs and lows of the game. I've had the highs and lows of it all. And, and so, I just think that uh, we'll be able to share that with them, and I'll be able to understand that they've got a coaching staff that's in their corner and it's here for them. We'll fight for them. We'll do whatever and help them be successful. I want to get more into your background in a second, but just sticking with the roster you're taking over. I know you hit the road recruiting pretty immediately. Did you get a chance to meet any of the players who are coming back for next season? Yeah, I have. Um, and uh, it's been kind of cool. They've been, some of the guys have been working out here over at Dado. And so actually yesterday I had some guys come in. John uh, Dre Smith came by and uh, Nick Lopez and uh, uh, Tyler Zano came by and um, Carson Wells, Garrett Clark, I believe. So I've got a chance to, to meet with uh, some of the guys just to say hello, kind of put a, face with the name you know and great kids man i think that they're just they're just you know want uh um is yearning for 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 um someone to kind of be there for them be in their corner a little bit and right and so yeah it's been it's been great to meet them i know that a lot of them are in the portal 
and uh, we're trying to work through that right now is to try to retain them and i think that's important um some have already left right which we know about as well and so um and i i understand that they those those young men thought that that was the best option for them but there's other people in the portal right as well that we're speaking with um they were trying to have a good meetings with and and come back or get to to, to see here in the next couple of weeks and so it's a lot of a lot of moving parts as you can imagine but uh it's good. It's fun. It's exciting. I love every minute. Yeah, you pretty much answered my next question just about the the roster attrition and, and the guys in the portal. And it's interesting that you you are talking to them and trying to retain guys. So obviously you can't answer this question yet because you don't know what the final puzzle is going to look like. But uh, generally, the what you're inheriting, where this program's at, how would you assess it, and, and how much further do you have to go until you can start maybe chipping away at those goals? Well, I'm not the most patient guy in the world, Ron. I can take so, so I don't know. Time is 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 today. Um, this, this is what I got. I got, know I got today. So I'm gonna work hard today, and then it's tomorrow. I'll work harder tomorrow. This this isn't about. Everyone talks about rebuilding, and I I, I think this is just restoring. This is um, USC has got great foundation. It always has. Um, I just yeah, it's about. Uh, getting the guys to, to buy in and find it. And I don't know the roster. You made a great point. I'm not really sure. Um, kind of, if I'm looking at stats. I'm looking at the players. I'm looking at, at years. I'm looking at scholarship. You kind of look at everything, right? Look at incoming guys, trying to work through it all and, and as best we can, put the best and most competitive team on the field um, for next year. I'm thinking about, obviously, 23 season, this fall and then the 23 season. So, it's a work in progress. I can tell you that's it's a puzzle, right? Just trying to put all the pieces together. Obviously, if you don't pitch, you have a hard time winning baseball games. I know that. And so that's become a huge priority for us as we move forward. And so it's uh, a lot of moving part. Um, I can just tell you that uh, um, I've been on the phone just about every day for the last four or five days, so or every moment for the last four or five days. I'm, I'm sure. Uh, taking over at this time of the year, how much can you do on the recruiting trail ahead of the next season is it, it's kind of late in the process what can you still accomplish there well i think um it is late but here's the deal um, it's it's usc and that's 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 big man and i think that's folks in southern california and even nationwide they recognize usc right university of Southern California. that that was a lot of weight man that's a heavy hitter and so so even though it's a little bit late um even though I'm, i may be showing up a little bit late for the dance i still still got a chance to to, to, to find some players, and I think that uh, this place is special, man. I got to get. I, now I just got to get on campus. This is you've been on this campus, you know. And for me, as a baseball coach, most of the time when we came here, right, I busted us to the field, and I, after the game, I butt out, right. So I to be able to walk this campus and and get over to Heritage Hall and and get over to the track and get over to Galen and, and just kind of check this place out, I man. This is. This is gorgeous. This is this is a, a little beautiful city inside inside the city, right? And so, so that's the part that, that I've got to do. Our coaching staff has to do is, is get young men on on our camp and let them see what this is about. Let them see. Obviously, it's it's a great baseball program, and we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna make it great again. But at, at the same time, man, it's, it's a great place to go to school, man. It's a great place to for the next four four years of your life, man. That, what I believe would be the, the best four years of their life possible um, because of, of the specialness of this place. Good stuff. It's 
kind of wild that you were going through this process, this hiring process, right as this seismic move to the Big Ten is getting finalized and announced. What was kind of your conversations with Mike about that through your interviews and, and as it became official and then you know that you're eventually going to be a Big Ten program, how did you kind of process all that? Well, I was interesting when I got off the plane to meet with Mike and, and Lindsay and staff here. Um, uh, I, when I got the plane, it, I, my phone's buzzing and it's like, you know, SC to the to the Big Ten, and, and so I saw Mike for the first time. I was like, hey, what do you think about our new move? I was like, well, I didn't know about it until about ten minutes ago. Um, so I'm just trying to work through it, but I think it's great, and obviously for the pure economics of it, um, we certainly understand that. But uh, you know what? It's it's baseball, man. It's and it's Southern California. I tell people all the time, for okay, for five games, you got to go. We got to go to the Midwest. So what? Right? You got to travel a little bit further, right? But for the rest of your career in college, you're you're training at Dado Field, right? You're training in, in beautiful weather, right? You're training at the university that's taking care of you. It's everything you can to have success academically and athletically. Um, and so, and obviously from an RPI standpoint, now you play, when it gets to this point where we are in the Big Ten, you play a lot of teams in the Pac-12, which was we still we don't know yet where that's all going, but you're going to play great teams on the West in, in weekend series, and so your RPI is still going to be strong. And, and so remember, we're, RPI is a real thing in college baseball, and we we want to be at a point. We made the playoffs last year at Grand Canyon because of RPI held held because we were playing really good opponents. Yeah, so that'll be a big part of doing it. So now you're playing your conference match against Big Ten opponents that are in conference that are good. Now you can play on the West Coast. You continue to have a weekend series against a Stanford or, or you know, um, your Irvine, your Fullerton, right? Your Santa Barbara, all of those schools that, that are great here in the, on the West Coast. And your RPI is going to be strong. And so that's a big part of this. That's that's a real factor in, in getting yourself in a position to get into a regional. And so, um, no, I think it's great, man. I'm excited about it. Uh, it to me, it's baseball, whether you're playing in, in, in Nebraska or you're playing baseball we teach this game the same way right it doesn't matter so it's a little bit cooler than so you wear sleeves what's, what's <laughs> exactly but we'll close with just kind of talking about your career which i find very fascinating i don't know i'd probably you probably say you maximize your your baseball potential five nine 165 and you play seven seasons in the big leagues kind of tell me about your path and and becoming a big leaguer and, and what kind of an accomplishment that was for you and just the process of getting there and experiencing that yeah, um, it was a, uh, it was a, it was a long one, but a, but a good one. Um, yeah, I got obviously grew up here in, in Cerritos and um, went to Pepperdine. Got dropped out at, at my junior year. Um, just loved what I was doing there. I didn't want to leave, and I um, wanted to help my team go to Omaha. We didn't, but but nonetheless, I wanted to be a part of that program. But I didn't sign until my senior year. I think it was the 12th round pick um, from the New York. Remember, I'm a Dodger guy, right? I grew up in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got drafted by the Yankees, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, the Yankees! <laughs> that's like that's like the enemy, right?" But uh, but when I got in the Yankees system, I fell in love with the Yankees. I just fell in love with how they did it. Um, Buck Walter was my manager for three out of four years of my career there, coming up. And so just man, I just watched him and, and learned a ton about attention to detail. And then he was my manager in the big leagues um, for. For three years as well, two with the um, Yankees, one with the Diamondbacks. Um, so I got a chance to just watch how he worked. Uh, really impacted my, I guess, my coaching style. I guess, much anything. But then, uh, um, 
but then I spent six years in the minors, man, just kind of grinding this thing out, and and uh, I knew I was going to be a major league baseball player. I never, never for a moment doubted that I would be. It just took a little bit more time than I than I wanted, but got a chance to get the big leagues in '92 and played there basically '92 through '98, and then got a little banged up and had Tommy John surgery and, and tried to tried to rebound and trying to come back. Got sent back down to to AAA. Turned into kind of up and down deal, but the, but it's certainly a journey. But I think I think all of those experiences have helped me for the, this moment. It's helped me. Um, I knew I knew. Ron, I knew as a player that when I was done, I was going to coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really know where I was football or college game again. Um, I almost actually took a job um, with with, uh, with Pepperdine when I was a little bit banged up. I thought about coming back, but I just, I just didn't feel like I was done playing at the time late in my career. Um, so I knew I was going to do one or the other. I just uh, um, I love the game. I fell in love with it when I just started playing it full time. and I can't imagine doing anything different. You know, um, as I move into the, the years of my life here, but uh, man, it's been it's been a journey, but it's been a great one. I do. I, I feel like all the ups and downs have helped prepare me for for this moment to come back home and, and be that coach at, at USC. No doubt, no doubt. And uh, you were on some very talented rosters though during your times in the big leagues, around some some really uh, great players. Uh, when you look back on it, are there any two or three moments that stand out most to you? Any any teammates that that uh, resonated the most with you during your time and uh, just what you're, you're proudest of from that time? Well, I think I'm proudest of, of opening day in 1992, making a big league roster for the New York Yankees. Um, that, uh, that unfolded. Yeah, I went to camp as a, as a non-roster invitee. I remember because Buck Showalter just taken over as the man um, of the big league team. And so got opportunity to go to spring training and had a great spring training and, and uh, traveled, traveled to New York to play the Subway Series. It was They did a little exhibition series with the Mets back then. Um, this was before interleague play, right? So, um, got a chance to, was told basically on opening day that, that I made the roster. Uh, and that was big, I mean, because it's just, you know, you're like you said, it was kind of, um, I believe in myself, but I think a lot of people always thought, hey, man, he's a nice single-A player, and he'll never get a double-A. He's a nice double-A player, he'll never get a double-A or triple-A. And I just felt like... Um, I knew I was going to make it. So that was big, that big moment, just to, when you, for the first time, you start competing against the best in the world um, and make a mistake. Major League Baseball is the best players in the world. So to be able to do that and then, um, you know, think about my, my moments. You know, I, I watched, uh, got a chance to play beside and watch Craig Biggio and, and uh, um, Ken Caminiti and Jeff Bagwell and, when those 94 teams in Houston, man, um, great team, right? And then I got to play in Montreal with Moises Lou. I saw Pedro Martinez right when he, I was I was in the that field when he was going in Cy Young and, and the great year that he wrote Cy Young. And so people always ask me all the time, like, man, you don't you don't seem to get too impressed sometimes with players. And I say, man, I mean, I fellas, listen, man, I I played with Pedro Martinez, man. <laughs> I, I played with Jeff Bagwell, Craig Biggio, right, Don Mattingly. Bernie Williams, man, it's just, you guys are, I've seen some of the best players that have ever played the game play, and so forgive me if, if I look at that guy and say, yeah, he's okay, man, yeah. I, I, you know, but I, I'm, you're just asking me to compare him against some of these players that that uh, that were, you know, at that time, right, you're talking about Chipper Jones, right, you're talking about all those greats that are coming up, the Randy Johnsons and, right, Mark McGuire's, and all, all of these guys that, that I was, you know, day in and day out 
on, I'm on the field with, right? So um, I saw, I, I played in, the, in those 90s, the era where, and it was some, some unbelievable baseball players. That's, that's what I grew up with. So I, all, all those names resonate with me in a big way. Is, is, is there a way to, uh, or is it the priority for you to reconnect with, with some of USC's uh, accomplished baseball alumni and get them around the program more? Absolutely. No question. That's a big part of, of how I think we're going to help to restore um, USC baseball. I mean, that's, I'm going to obviously fights and basically tell these guys to come on by any time in the area, stop by visits and with our guys try to set some meetings up with them. Um, just talk to our guys about, about what USC means to them, what it did for them, right? Um, what it means to them now, even as even as being out of USC for 30 years now, whatever it may be, 20 years, 15. Um, the family here is strong. I see it. I feel it. I've felt it since I've gotten here. Um, and I've got to, we've got to make sure that our young men understand that, that there's a there's a group of, of players and people that came before them to help build this place. And there's, and they wake up and they um, and they want to see what we did that day, what we did that night. How do it's important to them, and, and that's our guys are going to realize that they're going to they're going to they're going to hear that loud and clear. My last question to you: uh, Over your time in the big leagues, four career home runs. I was trying to research last night about them. I didn't get all the information. Uh, do you recall who your home runs were against in the big leagues? Uh, um, well, you're, well, I should. It's not very many, um, so. <laughs> It should be. It should be very simple. Um, well, Alan Mills, I think, was my. He was my. He was, um, Baltimore Orioles. Really, really pitcher. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he was my. He was my teammate in Columbus in AAA. He was a good friend of mine. So he he gave one up to me. He wasn't too excited about that. Um, but uh, let me see. Um, oh gosh. So lefties. Um, two lefties. I seem to become like a, a left-handed guy. Um, a left-handed hitting guy later in my career. Um, what was it, Yankee Stadium? What was a three-run homer, I think? And um, uh, Houston, gosh, um, I'm drawing a blank. Um, man, I, I'll be honest, I don't know. I didn't really sure who, who they were off of. But I, like I said, it's <laughs> four. You should remember. You should remember the count. You should remember everything. Uh, but uh, I, I don't. I don't know. Really sure at this point. I put you on the spot there, which wasn't fair. So uh. no, no, it's fine. <laughs> Again, it, it just, I guess it just, I'm just kind of, I've kind of moved on. I guess I don't know. I, I, I should know though. I'm embarrassed that I don't. We'll, we'll circle back in a few weeks, and I'll see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me, give, give me a moment. Give me, give me uh, next year, and I'll, I'll tell you exactly um, later on today. Well, Andy, great conversation. Thanks so much for your time, and, and best of luck as you get this thing going. All right, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks to Andy Stankiewicz. Thanks again to Brady McCullough. Thank you, everyone, for finding your way back to the Trojan Talk podcast and listening to us. We are going to have a huge year on this platform. Yeah, we're, we're pretty much geared up to, to keep firing out shows. In fact, I've already recorded two interviews, two segments for next week's podcast that USC football fans and uh, just Trojans fans in general are going to really enjoy. I think it's really informative, uh, interesting. I'm just going to leave it as a tease. But look for that middle of next week, probably. Again, that'll be a full show with two guests. That's already done, and we will keep finding more and more topics and guests and conversations as we get closer to the fall camp, which is only weeks away now. It feels like the summer has just flown by. Uh, It always does, but 
I mean, who's not excited for USC fall camp? Let's get it going. With that, we'll bid you farewell for today. Thank you for listening. If you're not subscribed to Trojansports.com, we hope you will join us because we're going to have just a monster couple of months leading into the season and then just really hitting it hard this season. we got a great team in place, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So hope you'll join us at Trojansports.com and always on the Trojan Talk podcast. Thank you.